0: Web3 With Me is a discussion-style show where creators, marketers, entrepreneurs, and investors share how they are solving the core problem plaguing Web3, perception. The perception problem is preventing mass adoption. It is narrative, framing, and terminology, and it's inhibiting onboarding, engagement, and retention of users and customers. Web3 currently requires a level of technical understanding and responsibility due to a lack of protections that the masses do not currently desire. Web3 With Me will provide insights for Web3 native companies and others considering a Web3 strategy to tackle that perception problem. My guest today is Adrian Pocobelli, who has an amazing show on YouTube called Artist Journal, where he dives deep into digital art and artists. He also hosts this show as a Spaces for Rug Radio, the iconic Web3 native media brand. His journey as an artist began on an iPhone 6S on apps he still uses today, In this episode, we dive deep into the differences between art, culture in North America and Berlin, and go on many other tangents inside and outside Web3. Adrian is just the type of person we need in Web3 for it to truly thrive. LFG, baby, let's start vibing.
1: Zach French is a bar-certified attorney and nothing expressed by Zach during Web3 with me shall be considered legal advice. All the opinions expressed by Zach and his guests are solely their own opinions. All content in Web3 with me is for informational purposes only. Zach and his podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed during Web3 with me. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm glad to glad to talk to you.
0: Yeah, I've been pretty excited about this one since uh, you were first introduced to me and and two since we've talked um, a, a very, very good friend of mine. In fact, the man I credit with sending me down the rabbit hole that is Web3 uh, Joshua Sobel, also known as, mm-hmm. Ah heck, uh, had been watching your show and just found it absolutely fascinating. And he's like, you need to connect with this guy. And I started watching your show and I was like, I need to connect with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really awesome to hear that kind of
1: feedback. Cause, uh, it really is just unvarnished. Like, here we go, we jump off the cliff, and people can either like it or not like it, and this is just what it's going to be. So anyways, it's always great to get a positive response from people, It's totally awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, just that like kind of style of just consistently speaking for you know a long period of time is, I think, hard for a lot of people. Uh, and to stay optimistic uh, and, and just really bring about like, some amazing commentary on this art in real time, just seeing you work shuffle through your tabs. And (laughs) I find it fascinating. It's just, it's a unique way to do things. It's kind of a hodgepodge
1: of a whole bunch of things, you know, like the tabs really, that is the preparation, you know, and then I can sort of, then it's all the reading and everything, all the studying that, you know, didn't really, it's not like I teach at a university or anything. So it didn't really get used at all. And I hardly talked to anybody, uh it's up to some of my artist friends once in a while about this stuff so it's almost just uh a whole confluence of a whole b- bunch of things uh is how that all turned out so yeah anyway it's uh it's hilarious and it's great so i'm again i'm thrilled that people enjoy it and it's kind of i don't want to say it's effortless i mean it's putting together the tabs that is the work but after that when i once i hit record it's it's actually not a ton of work cuz it's kind of like it's as much work as almost as me talking to
0: you right now, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. It's like, yeah, it's that true stream of consciousness. You're just like going and talking. And and that is it's a powerful thing. I think that's when you get the raw good uh commentary out you get good sound bites and stuff like that so uh and and also as we'll get into it uh throughout the show you you can tell us a little bit about uh how you got there so you know the way i usually start these shows is to get someone's founding story um this doesn't have to be web3 though feel free to make it web3 if you want um i'm looking for like what makes adrian adrian how did you get to where you are today
1: yeah so i mean let me try and compress this uh so I grew up in the middle of Canada, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I was kind of a weird kid, you know, I went to the, I mean, the real origin story, I went to the Vatican at six, because Italian family, and so that was kind of a formative, I think that, I think, you know, I suspect, I mean, I was only six years old, so it's not like I was planning it all out, but I think <laughs> at six, seeing the Vatican, and I was actually fairly bored going through the Vatican, but I think I was kind of, I think there was a sense of like, what is this? And that I and I felt the kind of the importance of where I was and how everybody was kind of looking with, you know, patience at all these different images. I think I was kind of just um, kind of mystified by the whole thing in a good way. And so, and yeah, so then, uh, and you know, art was always kind of important. It, like my dad was an artist, he was a physicist, uh, he's retired now, but he was also kind of, he called himself a Sunday painter. Uh, but, but I mean, he was quite a good painter, actually. Uh, and, yeah, his paintings are in his basement, <laughs> you know, like totally unrecognized and all this sort of thing. Um, and so anyways, and then any, anyways, long story short, went to, uh, did a master's in English. I started with visual arts. There wasn't enough brain food in, you know, art school at the University of Saskatchewan for me. And so I ended up doing English uh, and then I did, so I did a double degree and then I did a master's in English and I got introduced while I was a teenager, I guess, to back up a little bit to the counterculture because I worked in a used bookstore. So I got introduced to, you know, William Burroughs, JG Ballard and that whole tradition. It was kind of bookstore culture. I was really into comics. I was a huge collector as a kid too of trading cards. I would literally stare at the covers of comics in my room for hours at a time on saturdays and then just rearranging them i'd always be like trying to put them in order Mm. and so yeah so i was always just totally kind of fascinated really with images and what made a great image in a sense and so i went to art school ended up doing a master's in english on the atrocity exhibition by jg ballard and I had to convince them to do that. Now it'd probably be seen as a really cool thing to do by the professors. At the time, they, I can't. The supervisor who shall remain nameless, yeah, he was like, I told him my idea. He's like, I hate it. You know, but <laughs> but anyway, so I, I convinced him. I was like, no, I was showing him Salvador Dali books um, that he had written, and I was like, look at the connection, uh, showing how surrealism really was the conceptual foundation of that novel, that experimental novel, which is a response to Naked Lunch by William Burroughs, I'd argue. Anyways. So then I moved to uh, Montreal for eight years, uh, and really lived in poverty with my girlfriend, taught English and kind of struggled to do, do some art, but nothing ever really turned out. Then I moved to Montreal, sorry, Toronto after that for four years and really started seriously painting. I was then like 30 and I was like, okay, like it's now or never. And so I really started seriously painting. And then with the iPhone 6S uh, in 2016, I, I saw like on my lunch breaks uh, at the office, I realized I could make art, because the iPhone 6S was the first art phone, in my opinion, where you could Mm. start to export images. There were several apps, really good apps that I still use, that even, like, that they're almost, like, deprecated, or, like, nobody really uses a lot of these apps anymore, but they're, some of them, my favorite apps. (laughs) And so, so anyway, so I did that. Then I moved to Berlin uh, a, a year, like, four years, you know, 2016, Uh, Around that same time, I moved to Berlin and yeah, so I've been here now for seven years and it's been great and I had a few shows, it was great. I had my first real art show like six months after getting to Berlin, which was really great experience for me. It was just like a community run gallery, no big deal, Fata Morgana, but it was still a cool edgy underground gallery that people knew about out here and in in Mitte, which is kind of like the fancy neighborhood, so yeah, so that's kind of and then so I've been doing the art thing here I've had like five shows uh well it's nothing too, you know it's not like I ever really made it in any sort of serious way in the contemporary art world but I had shows you know which is more than some people out here you know so it's and I've met a lot of artists out here and you know Finally, I mean, what you do out here on the weekends is you go to art shows, and I love that. You know, it's mm-hmm. fun. It's drink wine and hang out with interesting artists and that sort of thing.
0: And so you you, you were all over Canada, right? Um, you're kind of finding yourself, it sounds like, as you were were traveling to these various cities. Um, I'm interested, does, did your experience in these cities kind of influence the art that you're creating now?
1: I would say no. No. Uh, it's, it's funny, like I, I tried different cities, I was really trying to make Canada work. I didn't really get like, the reason I'm in Europe is because I, I managed to get an Italian passport through my dad, but I didn't really get it till I was like 30 because it was this whole convoluted process because he had renounced and I was born after he had renounced his citizenship. So actually my mom had to apply because she married him while he was still Italian. So she could become Italian and she's oh, super geez. Canadian. And then I could become Italian. So it's one of those kind of weird. Yeah. So uh, all, but to answer the question on Canada, it's uh, I really tried to make it work. Uh, but, you know, no, I, you know, just are it's, kind of a tough art scene. Like, I mean, if I had to analyze it in retrospect, I would say there's not enough, there is some success there and stuff, but uh, I don't think there's enough. I mean, Berlin's not that different, uh, but yeah. there's not enough. So it's very kind of elbowy, like very competitive and everything. So nobody's really looking, I mean, people do get breaks and people do, you know, quote unquote, make it but i didn't really have much luck i really tried and so berlin felt like a place where i didn't i could just be me and people liked it it wasn't like oh you're the weird guy talking about the weird things ah, you know like which is what that. i talk about on the show but that kind of talk doesn't get wasn't very appreciated out in you know in the circles that i was in in canada yeah. and that could have been totally my fault and all that sort of thing but it just never really worked for me so at least out here i felt there's a value being, you know, being into culture and being into all these things is valued and prized. And, you know, it's not that important in Berlin, like your job. It's more like what, you know, what are you into? What are you trying to do? You know, and so uh, so that was yeah. So it was a good fit out here. It's a free place in that respect. Uh, A lot of people like that about Berlin. And you forget about it sometimes living here for a while. But when you ever go on vacation, People then, you know, including myself, you remember why you like Berlin so much. Like, it's pretty chill,
0: you know? Yeah, that's that's very freeing. Like, I I don't know many metropolis cities that I hear of people from that are just less focused on what you do and more focused on what you're interested in. That's like, I wonder where that come from. Have you ever that dove deep into figuring out what kind of gave birth to a culture like that, or have you just loved it and embraced it and, and stuck around? Of course I've analyzed it.
1: Yeah, no, it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of like, uh, I mean, the way I would sort of uh, assess that is, I think it's because Canada is a fairly young country for example, and I, I can't speak, I think actually the U S is a little bit different in this regard in this, but Canada's a fairly young country. So there's not like a several century old tradition of the arts of it being kind of at the center of the cultural life and this appreciation and, you know, super famous historians going all the way back to ancient Greece, you know, like, so I think it's a little bit different kind of being on the continent of Europe because, it's understood on a really for, for centuries, if not millennia, two millennia, that you know, ideas are kind of the real currency and kind of, you know, things, you know, it's it's the real game, so to speak. And I just think that depth just simply, it's just Canada's just too too young, I'd argue, culturally, and nothing against it. It was a great place to grow up and everything. But if you ask me to analyze why that is. So I think it's in that respect. So it creates a different kind of cultural values. Whereas Mm. in Canada, maybe it was more important, you know, to frankly, like make a lot of money. And, uh, you know, like, I mean, that's your status. The way that status is measured is a lot different, you know, in a city like Berlin and, you know, compared to, say, Toronto. You know, it's just, yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's interesting. So, so it's really like a different a model of, of success, of status in within social circles. Um, whereas if you can have deeper conversations about the arts or about things that you are interested in, uh, you tend to have a wider group of supporters and friends in Berlin. Whereas if you're in Toronto, it's like, yeah, but like how much money are you making? Um, you know, not so, not so directly, but yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Keeping up with the Joneses. I, I I've (laughs) been, I could say in, at least in Atlanta, it's, it's much of the same. I think there's some very cool cultural history in the city of Atlanta, um, that leads to some very interesting artistic communities. But for the most part, if you go to like the suburbs, it is, you know, what car are you driving? Uh, what circle are you doing? What have you done with your career? Uh, it's not, hey, do you make art on the weekends, right? Do you want to go to shows? I, sh- I struggle to find people to go to galleries with me. I really do. I have to make new friends It's, um, it's true. It.
1: I, I mean, it, it's kind of like a big unspoken story, I would argue, actually, is it can be quite difficult to actually find, uh, you know, friends sometimes in like in some of these North American cities. And, I, you know, like it wasn't easy. And so, and I'm a pretty social person. So, here, it's like, i it's much more effortless for me. And, you know, and yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting whole, you could have a whole, like, anecdotal cultural discussion on the differences between the two cultures. Big picture, I would say, it's just there's more of an emphasis, you know, like a lot of the people that I know would be considered, you know, quote, unquote, losers, who I like a lot and respect, but in North American culture, they'd be like, well, you're this this person is unemployed and they don't do anything and he wears crazy glasses and he goes to all the art shows and drinks <laughs> drinks the free wine i think yeah. it's hilarious you yeah. know and i see you know and but like he would that person might not be at all respect and probably won't do very well in a city like toronto you know yeah. but,
0: i guess you know I, it, for some reason this is what pops in my head a socialite in north america is someone who's rich and influences people and everybody wants to be around him. Whereas a socialite that sounds like in Berlin is just someone who is really cool to be around because they can have really interesting conversations and it has nothing to do with the material things that they bring to the conversation.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, just to illustrate the point, like I have a a friend, uh, I don't think he'd uh, mind me mentioning his name. His name is Christopher Winter and he was, he's an artist and he's doing quite well as has occasionally his paintings are at Sotheby's, whatever. And he kind of blew up in 2007, 2008. He's had a ton of articles. He showed me once his portfolio of articles. Anyways, he blew up in around 2007, 2008. And he bought a sports car in Berlin. He bought an apartment. And him having a sports car in Berlin, especially back then, he was like, it was totally humiliating. Like, I mean, nobody nobody thought you were cool back then. You're like the douchey guy in the sports car. (laughs) So that's Berlin, right? It's not very materialistic. And it kind of like can be to a fault, you know, like, uh, but anyway, but uh, like people don't dress up here. If I was to go to the bar in a blazer, for instance, yeah. like I would stand out unless it was like a really fancy place. And it'd be like, there's the loser with the blazer. You know, <laughs> like, n- not joking. You know, nobody wears a suit wow, in Berlin. Huh? I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit. You will see suits here and there, older yeah, guys, course. you know, but yeah. if I was walking around in a suit, I would just be attracting trouble, if anything. <laughs> That is so interesting.
0: (laughs) It's pretty funny. It is. It is. It's like, it's just, it's like mind bending to learn the different types of cultures. Like you get so set in the culture you're in, you just kind of accept it as true, right? Like you're just like, all right, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to the birthday parties. We're going to think this thing. We're going to not going to go to, you know, galleries. Like I'm going to, I'm going to have to go out of the way. Like I literally, I was at just like little anecdotal thing. I was at Shabbat dinner. I go to Shabbat dinner every Friday, uh, and I was like, "Hey guys, there's the gallery that's doing a sick opening." And I'm like, "No, we're good." <laughs> Everybody's like, "You go, you go check it us, check it out for us, and let us know." And uh, yeah. so I went by myself. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, that that is the the life. <laughs> it's quite, yeah.
1: It's funny, and you know, it's even I'd even just add to the point, like it's trickier to go to galleries by yourself. I found in. Uh, in toronto just because like now i like i kind of been in berlin long enough where i'm probably going to know someone if it's a bigger opening or i can check the twitter see where certain people are uh or on instagram see where people are and kind of catch up with them you know uh so yeah so it's a lot of i can totally go out by myself and most of the time and even if i'm by myself it, it's I almost found it an easier thing. I remember going to LA to art openings by myself and it's just like, you don't, yeah, I didn't meet anybody. You know, I tried, but it wasn't very easy. Oh God, definitely not LA. <laughs> yeah, it's You aren't in like, our
0: group, sir.
1: <laughs> I guess like, yeah. So it's all, you know, I learned the hard way on everything and including that, you know,
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, since the show is called web through with me, we're going to stop talking about culture now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, We're talking about a different culture now. Um, So let's, let's fast forward a little bit. You've, you've been in, you've been in Berlin now for seven years. Um, What exactly are you doing there? Uh, What, what exactly is your show about and and all your other participation in the space and in art now?
1: Uh, So I've been here for uh, yeah, six and a half years. I, I, you know, I have my side gig like everybody else uh, to bring in money. And other than that, I, I work on my digital art and yeah, like, you know, I started this show, the YouTube show about eight, eight or nine months ago, let's say last August. And I kind of had the time uh, to do it actually. Like I, you know, it kind of cut into my art making time. But I kind of something, it was an idea that I always kind of had. So I started doing that and I could afford to do it in a sense from a time perspective. And so, I mean, other than that, again, I've been doing shows here and there. They didn't really amount to anything, but it was nice to get that experience. You know, it's something that never happened to me in Canada and where uh, I got the experience of how to, the production side. Of putting on an art show and now i'm not excited about doing an art show and i'd really have to think about it if someone offered it to me because it's actually a lot of work and it's really expensive and you're probably not going to sell anything and so i have to now weigh that like oh, well if i make something digitally i can probably sell a few editions on tezos mm-hmm. and you know it really has to be you know thought through i, I still want to do physical shows but it's uh yeah, I've, I learned a lot from that, and so yeah. So now I, I go to shows, I hang out with people, I do my show, my little YouTube show, and do the Twitter Spaces on Wednesday, and that's kind of my life right now. And then I make art in the rest of the time and hang out with my girlfriend. You know.
0: Yeah, that's nice, man. It's nice. So what what was it that actually introduced you to Web three or digital art scene? How did you uh, how did you start to learn about it?
1: Yeah, so that was a. Uh, kind of a weird story I've always been I guess since 2010 I've been pretty obsessed with with finance almost since like the 2008 crisis but I didn't really I started listening to these really paranoid gold podcasts in 2009 nice. and then I ended up subscribing to a newsletter in uh, the dines letter which is a super famous kind of uh, financial newsletter this whole there's a whole newsletter writing culture and I really got into that and anyway so that I started getting into finance back then and so it was actually so i discovered crypto actually i'd heard about it for the longest time like many people i didn't really buy into it i should have obviously Uh, but i didn't really buy into it until like 2020 i think it was the summer of 2020 when all of a sudden real vision was putting out all these videos on how big rel pal was out there and bitcoin and ethereum are going to make you rich and i was starting to take it pretty seriously And then I saw James Dines, who's passed away now. He's like 90 years old. And then I heard an interview with him in August 2020 saying, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, this is the thing to get. And so that's when I became convinced. I was like, I have to figure out how this works like tonight. Uh, And so I did. So that's kind of how I got into it. So it's actually through finance uh, that I got.
0: Were you reading the white papers at that point? No.
1: No, no and even still like I never finished the bitcoin white paper. You said white paper, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I know I and I still haven't finished it. Actually it's kind of complicated in the two general problem like I still I should give that another shot. Uh, but no and then but it's interesting though. I'd seen super rare in like 2018 cuz I, I was making digital art on my phone a lot at that point. Yeah. And but I didn't understand it and I just all I saw was that you had to apply and I was sort of like so dejected from my experience in uh, Canada that I just felt like I'll never get in anyway. So, anyways, 2020, I got into crypto and I was like, okay, the world's about to jump onto this bandwagon. I need to apply to super rare while I can here because it's going to be. Uh, and so I applied and then I managed to get in actually, luckily. So, in March 2021 is when I was starting to mint, you know, I minted my first NFT. I didn't really buy one, though, till that October. So I didn't even really understand the business I was in, you know. (laughs) And then I bought an art NFT in October of 2021. uh, And that's when I understood when the artist was so happy and was, you know, giving me the message on Twitter. Thank you. And then retweeting. And I was just like, this is really, really cool. And that's when I started to kind of that's when it clicked. But I was literally selling NFTs before I even really understood what it was all about. I just, I actually thought, like, I can't believe people are giving me money for JPEGs.
0: You know, that's like, I was
1: like, 300 bucks. There you go. No problem. You know,
0: so, I, don't think, I don't think there's many people that were that, like, I guess, I don't want to say naive, but just like, out. You know, yeah, yeah no, out. Yeah,
1: totally. I was completely. And like, there I was on super rare, you know, but had no idea. Like, Uh, I thought it was just like a flash in the pan sort of thing. And I sold things for way too cheap.
0: In retrospect, in in March, 2021, you could have sold it for God knows how much. Oh yeah.
1: And and you know, it's great. Like I still like, luckily by the October, November, I was selling for thousands. Like, I mean, my highest sales ever, it was like five or $6,000. I did a couple of times. So I came around, uh, but Uh, but yeah, like those first works, like, and I put some of my nicest works, you know, I sold for nothing, you know, but that's fine.
0: So you, you didn't realize that kind of like alignment that a lot of us, myself included, saw, uh, until you bought the NFT, which is like, Hey, I got a direct connection with this artist. Now it isn't some art I found in a gallery that I may never go back to again. I may never see this person again. Like now I can just talk to him whenever I feel like it. And in fact, there's a lot of value in me talking to them because if they resell it, I can actually reserve royalties on it, which now is obviously a bit of a debate. But for the most part, at that point was not. Um, So how did that change how you were interacting with your collectors? Were you a bit more active after that point or... Or how did you uh, talk to them? That's a really interesting
1: point. I mean, to Super Rare's credit, when they onboard you, they kind of clue you in to the degree that I didn't even realize this. They're like, you know, most of the collectors of this of NFTs are on Twitter. And I didn't even re- really realize that. Right. So
0: crypto Twitter, baby.
1: <laughs> yeah. So and sorry, what was the question again?
0: It's just like, you know, like you didn't see like the real value of selling digital art until you actually bought one and had the artist like retweet it and Mm -hmm. say all that. Like, did that change the way that you interacted with your collectors?
1: Yeah. So I became much more uh, active on Twitter. Although like, you know, again, it's sort of like and I can only blame myself. Like I take full responsibility. My Twitter didn't really have any traction. Like it's, it's interesting. Uh, I didn't, you know, like I'd get like one like if I posted stuff and I I think a lot of people are there and don't know how to kind of Twitter's a real kind of you got to kind of swim in Twitter for a while before you start to get a feel. And then you got to try stuff out. It's a real art to doing Twitter. Um, And so I would do stuff, but it was not until I started doing video that my Twitter started to get some traction and that people. So I had to find my medium. Uh, yeah. Because I felt like me pontificating on Twitter, it was just like, "Who's this jerk?" I think was what most people were thinking. Like, what does this guy think he, you know, <laughs> who does this person think he is? I you know, like and me and my. If opinions, they saw it, if they saw it, <laughs> if they even saw it, right? Yeah. And then maybe you'd get a charity like or two from that person that you kind of know, you yep. know, like yep. so. Uh, so anyway, so you, you kind of got to find your medium. You know, and I, so for video kind of did that for me and it's something I wanted to do for a very long time. Uh, And it's funny, like Twitter is very low-fi. It's a very low-fi medium. I mean, it's like a little bit of text. You you can put image, you know, but often it's just a little bit of text. So, and it can be interpreted so many different ways. And as we all know from, you know, our personal relationships, like there's no quicker way for a conversation to kind of go down then through text, you know, and the misunderstandings that happen and all the tone. So it's extremely low fi. So yeah, but, but to your point, I started to, you know, manage that side of things. And even yeah. still, I could still manage it better. Uh, and do more to kind of really, uh, you know, I, I say thank you out there, but I don't tag everybody. But I, I don't know if I want to be tagged every time I buy something, I, you know, so there's an art to it and you want to be discreet, but not, you know, it, you got to get a balance, but yeah, I, I manage it a lot. I'm conscious of it. Cause I, you know, and you have to show in a sense, there's a protocol and, and you have to kind of fit within that protocol. Otherwise you're screwing up. Like I did at the beginning where I wouldn't be, you know, like there's a, a good protocol that I see is when, you know, if someone makes an offer, say on super rare, then you say, thank you for the offer. You know, I'm going to wait a day. And if nobody else takes it, I'm going to go with it like this sort of stuff, just good communication. And I wouldn't do anything. Someone would left an offer. And then I would just let it hang for a week, you know, and then I and then that offer would be taken back, which is a brutal experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. they, They can put a time limit on it, right? Yeah, and
1: they, they can just like rescind the offer, and then you're kind of then all the other offers below that get kind of canceled. So it can be that's a pretty devastating thing to happen. So now I think there's the more the model is, is the 24 hour auction, once the reserve gets hit. And I, I like that model way more than this, waiting for offers. And then you have to manage that. It's, it's a lot less to manage with the artists. So I actually really like for for the soup on Ethereum, this 24 hour auction idea.
0: Yeah. The time constraints kind of put in uh, like a, a bias towards action for exactly. anybody that's, that's interested in it. And then there's also, I mean, like following on like kind of like the cultural norm there is like, if someone gives you an offer, even during that 24 hours, a lot of artists will be like, thanks so-and-so for the offer on Twitter. Um, and it serves two purposes. One, it gives that person recognition. So they feel good about themselves, but also it lets people know, Hey, people are interested in my work. Uh, and this auction has so long to go, you may want to check it out too, right well, exactly social proof right It shows social like
1: proof. that person's willing to spend money on my art. maybe you should consider spending money on my art art as well, mm-hmm. yeah, totally, yeah, so it's like the i've some people are masters of this, and sometimes they're like twenty three years old, yes. you know like and they're like total masters of like managing the you know the uh the business side of it. You know, like uh, so, yeah. Uh, there's a lot to be said for that.
0: It's just, yeah. I mean, I find that interesting. Kind of the the age dichotomy of the space, right? Like you've got like these people that are digitally native. Uh, I fall. I do not fall into that camp necessarily. I was, you know, I'm 36, so like I obviously was around when like there was no internet. I was pretty young, but like I am not native to social media. So when people give me kind of like these abstractions about, you know what the social media like pulses and all i'm like how do you see this stuff like i don't because i just don't spend hours inside of there in fact i purposefully do not spend hours inside of there which you know to the behest of my viewers and my show maybe Um, (laughs) but but it is interesting one of the things that i kind of took away from this and you can kind of give me your your thoughts on this is i actually purposefully made friends and then mentors from the generation below me. I would find someone who's in Gen Z in their early twenties, uh, that I would connect with through an NFT community or something like that. And I'd build a friendship there and it helped me kind of get in their shoes of like, how do you think about this? Cause like, for me, it just seems obnoxious a lot of the time to be frank. Um, but I don't know if you've had a similar experience with the kind of like age issue.
1: I've always found it kind of refreshing. I mean, I'm 44, and so it's it's always been really. I, I'm for me, it's a great way to just connect. Uh, in a weird way, I haven't had too many problems. Like I kind of relate a lot with uh, kids. Like uh, I'm kind of always. I I probably spend too much time on my phone and you know too much time online. Like my you know. I was thinking my girlfriend's sister has a kid who's 17 totally related to these kids you know hilariously um but there are other things that like a lot of cultural references i won't know and i don't watch a ton of movies and like a lot of like hip-hop stuff i won't have a clue um, uh, but overall like in a weird way i'd say it kind of keeps you young at the same time you know especially being on object and seeing on tezos you know not just young but people from all over the world, right. You know, like you'll get like a 17 year old from Argentina, you know, that's minting or from Turkey or wherever, uh, or wherever, Indonesia.
0: Yep. It you does know, it doesn't matter where there are no geographical boundaries. Yeah.
1: So I, you know, like it keeps things, uh, I feel very, you know, weirdly connected. Like I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around, what it means when i can have a twitter space and you have someone from you know poland uh, uruguay indonesia and you know nigeria you know literally you know on your call like live i mean this is incredible
0: you know and and it makes for unreal conversations and discoverability i mean we we started this show on a rant about the difference of culture between north america and europe right for the most part like Imagine when the whole world is included. What is it? What kind of value does that bring? What kind of like different interests does that bring? What kind of commentary and opinions does it bring? It just, it opens up. I mean, I think that's a lot of, of why at least I'm here. I can't speak for you. Is like, you've now like given people the ammo they need to have a creative renaissance, right? Again, and it's just digital this time. Um, and like, what is that going to produce? Uh, I don't know. Um, but it's, I'm definitely here for the ride.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, to your point, I mean, it's this whole idea, I mean, it's an exciting topic, like of gatekeepers, right? Like nobody is in your way as far as minting on object or, you know, I'm back to Tezos. It's like Ethereum. Okay. You gotta have some money. Uh, you got a, you know, foundation you can get into without an invite. So that's cool. And that's a credible, you know, digital art platform on Ethereum. So there is that option. But it still costs you, you know, what can be a lot of money in parts of the in certain parts of the world. Even in, you know, as someone was saying just the other day, it shouldn't cost like the cost of a tank of gas to mint a NFT. Which even in, you know, Germany or Canada or U.S., that's a lot of money.
0: Yeah, you know? exactly.
1: Uh, so what about the person in Argentina? You know. So yeah, but uh, to your point, like I think what we're seeing here uh in this scene and part of what makes it so exciting is the really the gatekeeping has been lifted and now it's anybody who's willing to take the initiative can have their work you know uh on the market on a free market you know and just like where maybe it sells maybe it doesn't maybe you get on twitter you sell a little more you know you can hustle a little bit uh but really where you can actually get a very quick response and you can adjust right away if all of a sudden you go, listen, none of my art's selling. Uh, maybe I want to try some a different kind of series. It's very forgiving the space mm-hmm. in terms of. Uh, it's a double edged sword actually because it's sort of like there's kind of a recency bias where it's like sort of it cares most about what you've done most recently. Right. Let's say so if you put out a, a whole bunch of masterpieces, then you put out two or three works that suck. Uh, you know. then you kind of suck at that moment and but but the beauty of it is vice versa if you put out some maybe mediocre work or work that you're not thrilled about that you wish you know you wish you were better but then you really improve the space will forget like immediately what you had done and if you go wow look at this work that you've done there's a bit more of a bias towards the work itself I'd Mm -hmm. argue than the artist Uh, compared to the contemporary art world which is really interesting back to this kind of i think it's the free marketedness of the whole thing because there's a lot of speculators in crypto and i think that might actually help the scene oddly
0: that's interesting so like with this recency bias like it's less about your resume and more about what are you doing now right what is it? What is the the narrative that's driving your current series or this current artwork that you just released? Is that something that one I resonate with as a person, uh, but also something that like the community will resonate with because there are speculators. Is this something that I may be able to resell at some point for more than I, I bought it for?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're more likely to get people buying your work. I mean, it's just, like it's pretty hard going to sell uh, physical artwork, because I mean, you really have to assume if you're buying from an artist that's not very well known, that's not kind of in the main circuit of uh, contemporary art, you have to assume you're never going to get your money back, you know, Uh, especially if you're not a name as a collector. Maybe if you're Sachi and you go out and buy a whole bunch of work, well, then it becomes valuable instantly because you're a big enough collector. But for most people, They're really buying for themselves, you know, and all the sales, almost all the sales I made of physical art were almost always someone who had some kind of connection to the art, whether you're displaying something that they kind of, you know, had some sort of sense, whether you're, you know, showing a character that they had already known from a movie, so therefore they liked it, or they know you as an artist and they go, okay, this is someone I know. So really someone that they people want to relate to the work uh you know i made a sale of a painting to canada it was someone that i grew up with really uh but that was a nice big sale of and you know but there's people want a bit of a story where on in contemporary art where in digital art it's a bit more like like what the liquidity i mean that's <laughs> another way of putting it you have tons of liquidity yeah. like you know you people will buy your work as an artist and they'll immediately they'll Put, add four Tezos and put it right back up for sale. Yep. And they'll often sell it. Yep. I mean, that's amazing. The liquidity I, is like, and people complain about the flippers, and I get it, but it's like, that's amazing.
0: It's a part of the Like okay, You can complain about it all you want. They're not going anywhere. Yeah, and like, I mean, <laughs> we have,
1: the the positive side of it is like, if you need to sell your art, it's nothing like contemporary art. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, unless you're not, you know, if you're in the very top tier blue chip galleries, that's a different story. Okay. You know, you it's almost like I heard the story of these Hermes bags. Like you have to be on a list just to spend one hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> on You're not even allowed. Like you're not on the list. You can't buy this. And you only get like two per year. Is I what mean, I heard. So I mean, it's the same with paintings.
0: You know? I, I think about like allow lists when things were booming. Right. Yeah, I'm going to make you sit in Discord for hours trying to earn a level so that you have the right to give me a couple hundred, maybe more than a thousand dollars for this digital picture. That was
1: the craziest. I think that was probably the craziest speculative mania of all time. Like, I think we put the tulip bubble to to shame in 2021. Like, that was that was hardcore. And like, I mean, uh, yeah. So a lot of people, like I'm way better off than I was when I started that bull market despite the massive bear, you know, and it's not like I'm doing fabulously, but I'm doing all, you know, like that was a great, like, yeah, like it was historic. That what bull about market. mentally? How has your mindset changed since that point in time? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. I've, have you ever heard the term crypto hippie? No. Like it's sort of like once you go crypto, you almost, it's like there's, it's like a certain lifestyle and mindset. <laughs> and I've, there's almost like pre-crypto me and there's like post-crypto me. Like, and I've never really gone back. It's sort of like you can't unsee it or it's sort of like, uh, you know, I just it, it's like a part of my life now in a weird sort of way. Uh, so it definitely has actually affected my mindset because now I see an opportunity for just digital markets, you know, so to speak. Uh, whether it's me selling my art or speculating, uh, you know, it's a lot. There's a you know, people sometimes dismiss the uh, accessibility of crypto. Like I, you know, if I have MetaMask and a little bit of Ethereum and a, basically a Binance account, I can basically buy, sell, and trade. You know, do whatever I want until I have no money left. If you know what I'm saying, like yeah. I mean, you have and- complete control over it. Complete control. I mean, and I guess it's the same if you have a stock account, right? But it's just, uh, but that barrier, though, of having a stock account, like for me, I finally got one, but it's actually not as simple. Uh, And here I am, I'm a fairly, you know, uh, I'm not like, uh, you know, clued out when it comes to finance and business and investing. I've been kind of pretty intensely preoccupied with it. It wasn't easy for me to set up an account uh, and that's part of my own fault when I moved to Germany and all this sort of thing, but I'm just saying like it was so much easier. I had my crypto stuff up in like two or three days, right?
0: Yeah, yeah it's no problem. I, yeah. I had the same troubles. I um managed. I moved my uh, 401k over to a self-directed IRA and I'm like, "How do I use this? Like this should be like way easier. Why do I have to click all these buttons? Like I just want to buy the thing." Yeah, <laughs> like crypto, it's like, "Oh, we we made that easy for you." Now, now on the other side of that, look, that sometimes if if you're not native to crypto, uh it can be quite intimidating, right? The whole user experience behind it. Um uh, but once you've kind of like earned your stripes and you know how to fund a MetaMask wallet and connect a wallet to a site and you have your browser extension, it's pretty easy. <laughs> then it's just about
1: security, right? Yeah. I mean, Tezos, it's the same thing. Like the Tezos wallet, I use the Kukai wallet. There's a, you know, I didn't do it for months, uh, Tezos, because like I heard people talking about it, heard people talking about it. It was I didn't so do grungy
0: then. That was back when Hicket Nung was the, was that? I, mean, I assume that's when you got started, right? I think I set
1: up my first wallet maybe in November. So I, it, I think it had actually just shut down. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I was pretty, in a sense, late to the whole Tezos scene. I knew about it. I saw artists that were kind of talking about it on Twitter. Kind of had a couple of Twitter friends who helped set me up, yep. you know, and who were like, do this, do this. I Get yeah, Kuka, this wallet. get
0: Temple. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. Like this one works on the phone better. This one works on the browser better. Uh, you know, it's actually pretty straightforward, but I have friends who've been wanting to mint NFTs for a long time, but they just don't bother to put that six hours of work, really. Uh, you can do it in a day, you know,
0: but you have to be willing to want, you got to know, want to know, you know, uh, yeah. And it's pretty intimidating. I mean, frankly, like I'm, I'm not an artist by any means, but like, I definitely have been in NFTs now for a long time. And the first time you go to mint, somebody like, am I really minting this? going on the blockchain it's going to be there forever what are, okay <laughs> no, you
1: know i had metamask for two weeks at least on my phone and i didn't understand the whole idea that when you hit the browser you're kind of logged in yeah like, i didn't i didn't understand it like i was just like oh, I, I didn't get it you know and then i was like when i was in the cubase or coinbase wallet and then that's when I realized I was like, "Oh, it's like when you're on the browser, you're basically logged in on the phone, and this whole thing." And but I didn't get it, you know. Okay. So, yeah, it's not so-
0: intuitive. It's definitely not intuitive. It's a it's a it's a whole new way of of doing things. You're like, do I put my card in here? Like, what what do I what do I do? You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. Um, well, I I have to ask, you know there is like a certain like beautiful like kind of vibe that you bring to your personality and it seems like having talked to you before the show and watching your show and talking to you now like it's consistent there's no like adrian's acting now when he gets uh, on his show <laughs> what is it that helps you do that do you have certain like Like ways that you think about things or is that just you as a person kind of going out there and and doing your thing the real answer is that's just
1: raw me it's raw me uh it's because otherwise I don't think I could yeah like because half the time I'm like I finished the program not half the time but I mean especially like early on I was I'd like finish the show and I'd sort of be like it was great while well, it lasted, but nobody's gonna like that, you know. Like, but whatever. I was just obsessed on delivering a show, and that was kind of the thing that I was kind of promising myself: just show up, and end of story. So yeah, so it's just, uh, it's just me. I mean, I have done a lot of work on myself in terms of, like, I I discovered coaching, which I never took seriously mm-hmm. uh, as, a, like, the whole like uh, what I call. I, I, what would we call it? Uh, self-help? Yeah, like the whole self-help and everything. Like I had a relationship that went bad. I was very codependent till like my mid-30s, even later. Mm. And so I kind of came to that stuff late, but that changed my life, actually. And just like these very, very basic things that they don't really teach you in school. You know, so I think that's also helped, you know, just being positive. And, you know, a lot of people, still make the mistake the positive self-talk i mean it's kind of important right and you can we've all been there where you can sort of get down on yourself and it's just like a self-defeating proposition so there's that and you know also you know reading the classics i mean i'd say it's especially like uh the, the platonic dialogues do do something to your brain you know and i did read those i almost did a master's in neoplatonism and that stuff helps a lot, too. I mean, some of the, my favorite speakers uh, were uh, one of my favorite speakers was like, yeah, he was a platonist, you know, and I don't think that's a- accidental. And, and I also did a lot of mushrooms, frankly, in my youth, in my early tw- late teens, early 20s. And sometimes I wonder if the way I speak. If that was like, I did a lot. I wanted to be a psychedelic guide and I was reading a lot of Terrence McKenna. So I was doing like all these like heroic doses, like as a kid, which is kind of crazy. Don't recommend that. Um, But sometimes I wonder if the way I speak was affected by that. I don't know,
0: but I do wonder that once in a while. You have to like think about that. Like now that stuff's in the spotlight, right? Um, yeah, yeah, it is, it is very much, I mean, I, I think about it a lot personally, uh, I've participated in my fair share, uh, not heavily, but like, you know, it was mostly recreational for a long time. Um, but there is uh, connections that your brain builds while you are on psychedelics that are not possible without them, um, for the most part. Uh, And it can. It can change the way that you function as a human. Um, And I, I applaud it. I'm glad we're finally embracing that side of culture because it has been just defeated for so long because it's been grouped into this category with totally different types of drugs, especially in the U.S., um, but yeah. now you're actually starting to see like the real results of this. I think, you know, one of the books that was very influential for me in that was Michael Pollan's book, how to change your mind. Um, and then the, the follow up Netflix series, which I made every single person in my family watch so that when someone mentions psychedelics, they aren't like you fucking hippie, uh, you know, <laughs> this is like really helping people like actually fix what's going on up here. So, yeah, I mean, I totally see it.
1: I didn't even realize there was a Netflix series. But yeah, to your point, I mean, I'll never forget, like, uh, actually, one of the greatest moments of my life was staring in the mirror at while I was high and just thinking. And I remember I was just saying, I was like 21, 22. And I was just thinking how pathetic I was. Actually, and I was thinking my pathetic soul is what I was thinking to myself. But that moment though was, it was like a transformative moment because all of a sudden I was looking in the mirror and I realized I could change. And that I could script things and it wasn't just like, I wasn't condemned to be this way anymore. And I tell you my relationship with my parents changed overnight. They probably wondered what the hell happened to Adrian. Hmm. Why is he so nice and understanding now? You know, rather. So I kind of grew up in a moment in a weird sort of way. And I still had a ton of growing up to do, but that was a, yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, transformative. I also, yeah. and I realized my parents weren't these gods that, you know, these tall figures that would, you know, uh, they're limited people like you or me, and they're just doing the best they can,
0: you know? Yeah. It's a big inflection point. What was was there a specific event that led to your self help inflection point, like a codependency or a relationship or a book you read or something? I, like I that? had
1: a relationship where I, which had gone bad. It was kind of classic, and I was because I was co- like totally codependent at thirty five. Mm. So this is much later, maybe no. later. I'm almost embarrassed to say. I mean, maybe thirty nine. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's but some people never learn this stuff. Yeah. Right. I mean, so that's the freaky thing about this. Like, we don't teach what I call practical ethics. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, we don't teach this, like how to act. You -hmm. know, so I grew up and I didn't really know how to act. So, Mm -hmm. so that's why I don't blame Canada for my, you know, because (laughs) I blame
0: Canada. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. But it could have been me. You know, like I'm sure it was in a lot of respects, me just not knowing protocol and whatever. So. It's kind of a late bloomer in that respect, you know, but think, but again, stuff like I, yeah, if you have problems in relationships, uh, you know, I can't, I tell people coaching and you don't need to get a real coach. Just read audio, have audiobooks, Brian Tracy. I mean, the original coach in a lot of ways. Uh, so anyways,
0: yeah. The reason was, I was diving into that was kind of self selfish. Um, I went through a similar period in my life where uh, when I was, it started when I was 25 and I'm still working on it today. Is like, I, my friend's like, hey, you're a really smart guy, but like, I think you should read this book. And it was How to Win Friends and Influence People uh. Uh, by Dale Carnegie. And I was just like, whoa, I could just open my mind to like, oh, you don't just get together with your friends to complain about this and wait on them to do things and get in arguments at every, like, like, all these little, really simple things that like, No one ever talked about that in like my household or at school or anything like that. You either just had it or you didn't. And then you start down this whole journey of like, uh, these various books, like one of them was more transformative and with the most catchy title was the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and like you start to realize there's just so much more to like a social interaction and the way you build relationships and how much they, they matter in the world and how little control you have over other people. Um, yeah. for a period of time, it was, um, um, the four agreements that kind of guided me. I don't know if you've ever read that i'm not familiar with that no um, more or less uh the, the ones that were really relevant were you know don't take anything personal anything anybody mm. else says or does is just a reflection of their own reality right and and like i just found that just like wow it just made so much sense i would like read it every day to remind me like every time someone says something to you don't get upset at them and assume they're attacking mm. you like that it's really transformative and nothing to do with web three. I'm loving this conversation yeah, well, my, yeah assume
1: the best as yeah. Brian Tracy. it's just a much easier, less stressful way of being in the world and you know Dale Carnegie, uh, how to Win friends I and influence people. I consider that like a timeless treatise on human nature. Yeah. like I mean I think it's chapter one don't criticize. Yeah. I mean it's brilliant. It's like management 101 like you know because you're not gonna criticizing gets you nowhere. Nowhere. You know, like a, everybody
0: will just immediately take that to heart, right? Yeah.
1: And just like, you know, tense up and just like not want to hear anything you're saying after that. It's just mm-hmm. you're they're you're attacking them.
0: Never you know? criticize, condemn, or complain. I mean like Yeah. Yeah. There's
1: yeah.
0: there's actually games you can play with it. Like um you can like take like a bracelet and put it on one arm, and every time you complain internally or externally, you have to switch the arms and start over for a certain period of time. And if you really want to drill it down, you. Uh, sure. Well, I know a few people who could use that
1: bracelet. I mean, sometimes the Germans out here, they can be uh, there's a there's a there's a broodiness uh, broodiness to it. Like there's a dark kind of melancholy sometimes. Maybe it's the weather. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's (laughs) interesting (laughs) because when
0: you when you're around someone that that maybe doesn't acknowledge that at first, it's kind of funny, right? Like when someone says something like kind of snarky and but then you realize it's everything. And you're like, mm. everything you're going to, it's just going to be you complaining again. You're like, uh. <laughs> I have a friend actually out here who will remain
1: nameless. Actually, we're friends again, uh, but way back when he'd just complain about everybody and it was always somebody else's fault. And then finally I was like, person X, you know, at a certain point, don't you like, you need to take responsibility for these relationships because you continue to be in these relationships. And so at what point are you responsible He didn't talk to me. We almost had a physical fist fight later that night. Like, wow. He didn't talk to me for like two years. And I finally, years. Maybe even longer. But it's like, I saw him the other day and I was like, okay, it's water under the bridge. Like, I don't care. We didn't even talk about it and it was good. And that was great. I was glad to see, you
0: know. That's good. But but you want to help people out, though. I think it brings up the point of like, at the end of the day, though, like only people have to want to fix themselves. Right. I've, I have plenty of friends um, as I've modified my interests and stuff that have fallen by the wayside because they were in the same place, you know, and they just don't graduate to new meanings and stuff. And so it was like the same conversations on repeat and you just, you want to see people grow. And I think, you know, kind of relating this back to web three, I mean, when I got into NFTs, it was because I was extremely stressed, and I was like, "What? What is a good way that I can express myself and who I am that is so much more than at the time practicing law at a software company?" And you know, no, no shade to the software company; they treated me great, but it was just—it's a demanding job. Um, and I—I I mean, I just—it was like an unlock for me, like the first time I finished a piece of physical art. It was Mm. like, oh my gosh, this is just such an expression of myself. And like, like, I just didn't give a shit what anybody thought about it. I thought it was cool no matter what. And like, it was almost the first time I was able to do that, right? Mm. Like truly do that. And I think that that unlock paired with what we were talking about earlier, which is like almost zero barrier to entry into the NFT space is like so, so powerful. It can, it can change the world.
1: I think, yeah, like, I I think it's changing the arts, like, and and especially the visual arts, because it's just made to order. I mean, you have a play, it's okay, that's a different story, or even a movie is a longer thing, but let's say that could happen. But with visual art, it's instant, and it's just so easy to do. Uh, Like, you're basically seeing uh, the real, well, I don't know if that's the right word, but you're seeing an authentic, uh, the art Scene, Like the, the authentic art scene of the world of people that are making art and you don't have to love it, but it's there. And it, it's it's kind of a beautiful, beautiful thing that I wouldn't know probably 99% of the artists, if not more, uh, that I currently really like and who are some of my favorite artists. Uh, I wouldn't know about them.
0: it suppose 50 years scene. ago, you'd have to be like in Paris or in like in a location where they are to have that. Kind and then even thing. then it
1: would be like the, you know, this closed circle of 10 people. And do you know the right people? And you're not invited because X, Y, Z, and you're too new or who knows what, right? Yeah. Um, so this is nice because, I mean, that's why I like YouTube a lot because nobody can stop you. <laughs> like, I mean, I could, everybody could hate me and I could still just show up and be like, hey, I'm back and <laughs> nobody can stop you. You know, like that's I'm back beautiful. back here
0: talking about digital art, baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: like, I, I love that. You know, like, uh, it's beautiful.
0: Oh, that's great. I know we're, uh, we're nearing the top of the hour. This has been awesome. I mean, definitely like the best tangent that I've ever been on the show. (laughs) That's like, I don't know if we talked
1: about anything. Yeah, I don't know if anybody's going to, they're going to
0: listen to this and be like, (laughs) uh, Where's Web3? They're going to be like this yeah. is like. But I guarantee you it's interesting, um, which is pretty awesome, which is something that I knew we would go down, uh, having spoken with you a few times. Um, you're very authentic, and I really appreciate it. I do have my closing questions that I usually ask every guest. Uh, the first one is, "How do you describe Web3?: I describe it as youthful and
1: optimistic.
0: Oh, I love that. Very succinct
1: yeah youthful and optimistic I mean it has all sorts of problems and in a sense that's also the downfall is it's kind of youthful in a negative way sometimes but overall it's uh it's really trying to build a new world digitally so ultimately that's an optimistic thing and yeah it's and and it's like again it's mostly you know there are people who are older than me and whatever but there's a lot of kids who are younger and it's just really fun and for them it's even more natural yeah. you know like they're digitally native as you say
0: Yeah. Well, I always, people are like, how do you know, like when, when like web three is like made it. And I always tell people, I was like, when you're walking down the street and it's just normal commonplace to start talking about your friend and his latest art drop on object or this, or you walk into a restaurant and instead of fixtures, you see digital art on the wall and you know who the artist is. Um, I mean, that, that's like the enlightening side of what the space could be, I think, if, if more people grew up and they're just native in it, right? Like these young people that will, you know, be in their 40s one day and having built a whole career, either a separate career and have this on the side as something they're always interested in or a whole career in the space, um, which is beautiful. Um, the last question is forward looking. Uh, so feel free to have some fun with this one. It's, uh, where do you see yourself in the space in six to 12 months? And then where do you see yourself in the space in five to 10 years?
1: Wow. So six to 12 months, I assume I'll be doing the same thing. Uh, but maybe hopefully on a slightly bigger scale. Uh, I still, Subscribers continue to flow in. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I'm because it, it does keep growing, right? Uh, sometimes faster, sometimes slower, but overall it keeps growing. So it's fun to just keep showing up. I mean, the biggest challenge as an artist is getting people to look at your work, and this kind of solves that for me. So there's no reason to ever stop doing it. Interestingly, so weirdly, in five to ten years, I could see myself still still doing this. And yeah, so that kind of boggles the mind of what that could mean, right? If someone is actually going to show up five days a week and keep doing this, I mean, I don't know, maybe it gets ignored and forgotten about, maybe there's some scandal and I disappear. Uh, But what happens if I just keep doing this and it keeps growing and growing and growing? It's a hilarious thing to think about. I don't know what, what that means or what that looks like. Uh, but I assume it's good for my art career, quote unquote, you know, like, uh, it's good for selling work. It's good and it's fun to see what people are doing. And, uh, so I hope it's just, uh, you know, more life in the arts is basically what I hope. And hopefully in a more sustainable, like financially sustainable way in five to 10 years, one would hope, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you're building connections for people personally, Um, So I I really do hope that you're still doing this in five to 10 years and the platform's just bigger. Um, At that point, hopefully we own the platforms. That would be nice. Uh, Yeah.
1: yeah. Like I I think the, exactly like the digital economy is here to stay, right? It's like, whether it's a crypto thing, whether it's some other thing, whether it's MasterCard or Visa that we do this on, I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, it's here to stay. And like, I mean, the selling digital goods, it's too much fun. Yeah. It's too much a fun, lot of fun,
0: right? Have a lot of fun. Hence the background, on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fun, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, cool. This has been awesome, Adrian. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Well, thank you, Zach. It's great to discuss this with you, and uh, I'm available anytime.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Web3 with me. If you enjoyed the show and want to help us grow. Please hit the subscribe button on YouTube or leave us a review on Apple podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Zach underscore French underscore.